This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, Cats at Night, the 5 o'clock show, the number one show in New York. It's a TriCast on WABCRadio.com, 770 on the dial, and WFAN. WFAN, what did I say that? Wow. <laughs> and 970, the answer, and WLIR in Hampton Bays. And we have a, a strong audience here in our studio. We have Nelson Happy, Jay Nelson Happy, from Lawrence, Kansas, and Dean of the, of the Law School Region University. Ed Cox, and uh, ten years GOP chairman and former, and current uh, was son-in-law of uh, President Nixon and Governor Patterson, <laughs> owner of uh, the Yankee tickets that uh, got you, got that that somebody sold you or gave you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the right answer. <laughs> so before before we get to our guest, we have a General David Petraeus coming up. I wanted to talk about the response the Department of Justice had to Trump's team asking for a special master regarding those Mar-a-Lago documents. They responded in a very lengthy document. What was it, 55 pages? And you both read it, Ed Cox and... Nelson Happy. So let's go. Nelson, what was your take on it? We'll have you go first. Well, thanks. Uh, my take is several points that were interesting to me about this response. First of all, President Trump is his self-inflicted wounds. He didn't go to the judge that had granted the search warrant, but instead he filed his own separate lawsuit against the United States, got a different federal judge, and then asked for a special master to be appointed. But the whole gave the government an opportunity to state their case in a different forum, in a, in a public document. And there are several things that strike me about this that's important. I think Trump at least was extremely sloppy in the maintenance of records that were both classified records and his own uh, presidential documents, which clearly, to me, are covered by the Presidential Records Act. Ed Cox, any opinion? Well, I had about 10 minutes reviewing this quickly. <laughs> Nelson loaned me his copy. But I was struck at the start. It says the U.S., the United States has complete ownership, uh, possession, and control of all those documents. Now, I know that's not true, but that's all they say, except as otherwise said in the Presidential Records Act. And there are lots of room in there where the president does have rights. For example, the D.C. Court of Appeals in 2012 said the president has the exclusive right to decide what's personal. Exclusive. Not even a court can challenge it. It's quite unusual. President Trump and responded. The reason, the reason okay. for this is that it was passed in 1978. Mm -hmm. President Carter was president, not President Nixon. And President Carter was looking at what he might be able to do as a former president, what documents he could take. And he had behind him uh, uh, a history going back from George Washington right up to, Car to Carter where the president actually owned the papers. 
completely. President Nixon owned all his papers. That was decided by the court. And and Trump, uh, he put out on Truth Social, he said, I declassified everything. So, Well, I don't think that helps him because uh, he responded to uh, an original request by the government for production of documents and said that he had produced everything that he had in 15 boxes, which was a complete fabrication and lie. And that... The FBI had other evidence to show that he had many more documents, and he was not truthful about it, and his attorneys were not truthful about it. Did he say that, or did his, uh, his attorney possession did. of records, the person who was responsible for his records? Oh, I'm he, not even sure it was his attorney. It was someone who was supposed to be in charge of his records. According to this, it was his attorney who responded okay. and said, that's it. You've got everything. So Go- Governor uh, Patterson, any comments? I think the declassification issue is going away. Because there's no evidence of that it existed. You can't just say you did something. There's got to be some documentation, and there's none there. But on the issues related to whose property that is, that's probably still debatable. But can Biden waive executive privilege of uh, his predecessor? That does not have any sense. All the objects of executive privilege is so the president can consult with his staff and it will never be known, even okay. after he leaves office. And does that cover documents too? And, and that would well, it would it would cover documents that went that yes. was important to yeah. to their discussions. Yes. One other thing that I think is important about this is that Trump waited two weeks after his documents were seized to ask for a special master. And by then, <laughs> yeah, and that was the, the example the that they used. Say, oh, they should he should have done it like Michael Cohn, who was resp- yes. lawyer respond. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, Michael Cohn was under investigation. He knew it. There was a back and forth going on. His lawyers were ready to respond. This is a completely unusual case. But yeah, the but president Ed, was blindsided they, by it. They've been asking so. him for documents for a year before. But so he, this didn't come as a surprise well, to him. Uh, let me tell you, the raid came as a surprise to the whole country. But even if it's true that he did have documents he wasn't supposed to have, I think we can all agree that a raid with 30 FBI agents was a little bit of overkill. Can can we all agree to that? Or was it better who, for him? Who were the FBI to, agents even, even the raid was the, overkill. The CIA, the Secret Service agents? And and was he better off just burning everything like maybe some other presidents well, before him? Well, Nixon didn't burn the tapes. Uh, and But what did Hillary do? Uh, I don't know about All right, let's move on. She did burn everything she could. I understand right. you. Oh, John, I think, John, I think the, uh... we may have to come back to this before the show's over. <laughs> this is very good. General David Petraeus, welcome back to Cats at Night. Good to be with you. Thank you. Uh, General, can you give us an update of uh, what the heck is going on, uh, uh, whether it's Ukraine or whether it's Afghanistan? Where would you like to start? There's so many things happening. Well, why don't we start in Ukraine, because I think there have been some very important developments there in recent weeks, Uh, particularly that, you know, this mountain of arms, ammunition, vehicles, other military equipment and training and so forth have enabled the Ukrainians really for the first time in this war to seize the strategic initiative. In other words, now the Russians are responding more to them than they are responding to the Russians. To be sure, the Russians are still trying to seize additional territory, but they're making virtually no progress. And on the other side, the Ukrainians have been hammering the Russians with these very precise munitions for the multiple launch rocket system and heavy artillery pieces that we have provided to them in very substantial numbers. Uh, And then even taking out uh, aircraft on airfields down in the Crimean Peninsula. So the Russians are having to move 
their logistics sites, their headquarters, their fuel depots, their assembly areas, even their barracks outside the range of the multiple launch rocket system, 70 to 80 kilometers. What that means is that it's much more difficult for the Russians to support the troops on the front lines, and they're having to move their aircraft literally all the way back into Russia. Uh, so they'll be much less responsive than they have been, and they haven't been all that impressive to begin with. But then on top of that, three days ago, the Ukrainians announced that they've begun this much-anticipated counteroffensive in the south to take back that territory, which is on the west side of the Dnipro River, uh, centered on a city called Kherson, the first of the regional uh, the, the first provincial capital seized by the Russians, and the only one, I believe, other than uh, one one in the east side. Um, so this is quite significant. Um, they have not yet had a huge breakthrough, although there may have been one today. We're looking still to get the reports from the battlefield uh, as they filter out. Um, and, of course, social media and all the rest of this provide this unique window into this particular war that we never had in the past with everyone being a reporter with a smartphone. Um, so this is quite significant. And now we're going to find out, frankly, whether the Ukrainians can do something they have not yet done during this war. They have defended magnificently, brilliantly, heroically, uh, and very, very professionally and competently. But going on the offense requires you to integrate not just infantry, but also armor, artillery, mortars, engineers, uh, explosive ordnance disposal personnel, uh, attack helicopters, close air support, multiple launch rocket systems, uh, all of that has to be brought together. And you have to keep supplying uh, those forces as they retake areas from the Russians uh, so that they can solidify their control on them. Uh, and that's ongoing now. So again, in the literally in the days that lie ahead, we're going to find out whether the Ukrainians can conduct offensive operations in the most difficult of possible contexts, which is urban fighting. Uh, fighting in cities, very, very challenging. The Russians have had enormous challenges with that. Uh, their, their solution essentially is essentially to just destroy the city uh, to take it. Uh, the Ukrainians obviously will want to avoid doing that, but there will be destruction nonetheless. You have to take out certain locations in which there are strongholds if you can't take them uh, any other way. So that's quite a significant development there. And I think it reflects the reality that the Ukrainians are proving to be much more uh, effective, efficient, and impressive in recruiting, training, equipping, uh, organizing, and employing additional forces uh, aided, of course, by the extraordinary support by the U.S. in particular, but also by other NATO countries and Western countries, uh, compared with Russia, which is really struggling just to replace its casualties, much less to provide trained, equipped, and organized uh, forces for them to employ on the other side. Uh, we had uh, Admiral Stavridis on the, uh, about 10 days ago, and he was the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, mm -hmm. And he feels that uh, things are just going to be uh, moving around for the next six months. But six months from now, maybe, or seven months from now, that there's going to be a, a, a Vietnam or Korea type of solution with, a, with uh, dividing up the uh, uh, certain parts of uh, the Ukraine. What do you well, think? Look, I think? I think 
very, very highly of my old shipmate uh, and comrade, uh, Jim Stavridis. We worked together numerous times over the years, Iraq, Afghanistan, and so forth. Uh, but I think that this, the potential here could uh, bring about a different uh, outcome in the weeks and months that lie ahead than what he has laid out. Now, there's no guarantee. Um, you've only seen one small breakthrough so far, we believe. But this would be that moment where if the Russian morale is going to crack, if their indiscipline is going to show uh, that we might begin to see it. It's very, very difficult, John, to predict this. I've been in, you know, in the fights in the fight to Baghdad, urban battles where all of a sudden, and you can't understand what took place, all of a sudden the enemy crumbles. Um, and that's possible. It's by no means assured. If it does happen, uh, we'll see Ukrainian progress. And then the question is, can they then continue it and cross this very substantial Dnipro River and continue it uh, to the area that is north of the Crimean Peninsula. And uh, have the Chinese, you know, and we're worried about the Chinese and all the problems mm -hmm. in the uh, Far East. Have they learned lessons from what happened with Putin? Well, there's a debate about that, John. Um, there are two schools of thought. One school of thought is that they should learn that big operations are really, really hard, especially if you've never done them. Keep in mind, they haven't been in actual combat since 1979 against a little border skirmish with Vietnam that didn't go that well for them. Um, and that urban combat is very, very difficult, that, that fighting against individuals who uh, don't want you to take their their territory uh, is particularly difficult, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, going across 100 miles or so of open ocean uh, in, in an amphibious operation is, again, among the most challenging possible uh, endeavors. Um, so there, there's that kind of that school of thought which would say that this gives caution. Uh, there's another school of thought that says, well, they look at Russia, they say, we're I mean, we're vastly better than Russia, and they are. They have vastly better forces, equipment, uh, discipline, uh, all the rest of that, capabilities. Um, and, by the way, again, the world can't respond to us the same way they have to Russia. They can't put the kind of crippling economic, financial, personal sanctions and export controls. They're just too substantial a part of the global economy. And so, again, you'd have that other a, a different perspective. I, I think the bottom line is I, I tend to think it's probably a bit more of a cautionary tale, noting that China has a very substantial number of challenges right now. Of course, in the very near term, um, the objective of President Xi is to get reelected uh, in mid-October when the party gathers. There's very little in doubt about that, but there have been wrinkles uh, that I, I'm sure he wished uh, had not transpired. The zero COVID policy that's caused continued challenges to their economy and to our supply chains. Uh, there have been challenges with the uh, real estate ever uh, grand uh, $300 billion of debt that has to be unwound and, and housing prices are going down. That's a huge part of the economy and one of the few areas where Chinese can invest. Uh, there's a number of different issues uh, with which they are contending uh, that they really wish they did not have. Uh, and so, again, there's certainly nothing in the near term, I don't think. And, and then beyond that, uh, there's going to have to be further consolidation in dealing with these particular specific issues. 
then include, of course, a very substantial uh, economic slowdown, which has consequences for the rest of the world uh, as well, given how substantial a portion of the growth of the world they have been uh, in the past decade or two. General, we have one minute before we have to take a hard break. And Ed Cox and uh, and Nelson Happy want to ask you a quick one. With respect sure. to to China, do you think that Xi, after looking what happened to Putin, even though he's chairman of the military commission, can he really trust his military and what they say they could do? Particularly when it looks back at the Vietnam, uh, it was more than a skirmish. It was a disaster for, yeah. for, for them in 1979, and his military yeah. has not been tested since then. Yeah, no, again, there will be doubts about that without question. I mean, there have to be. Um, and in fairly authoritarian systems like that one, um, again, is there truth being spoken to power uh, is always uh, a question. And leaders yeah. need to be self-aware and, and understand the challenges that that kind of system brings with it. Uh, General, this is Nelson Happy. I have a quick question for you. You're an expert in handling classified documents and your many years in military service. How do you think President Trump did in handling classified documents at Mar-a-Lago? Yeah, look, I leave, as I've told John countless no, no, times, no, I leave no, the general is not going to talk about political legal stuff. stuff. Oh, I, do, I leave that to all of you. Thank That's you. Your, your area of expertise. Thanks. That, thank you so much, General okay. Petraeus, for you everything bet. you've done for our country and continue you to bet. speak out for our country. God bless America and thank God you, bless. John. Take care. Always good to be with you. Uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, uh, we are going to come back with Ricky Kleeman, uh, Commissioner Bill Bratton's uh, wife, and she is an expert in uh, legal affairs, and uh, uh, she, I think she's CBS Network's uh, legal analyst. And uh, let's take that break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Crime here in New York City, it continues to get out of control, specifically subway crime. It's up almost 40%. There's now a viral video of police officers being attacked in Harlem while they're trying to make an arrest. And people are just feeling that they're not safe anymore. On the line with us right now is Ricky Kleeman. She's a legal analyst for CBS News, and you've probably seen her on many networks. I remember, I think I remember seeing you first with the O.J. Simpson trial. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Ricky Kleeman. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. Uh, tell us, uh, the city is getting to be out of control. There are people being mugged, there are people being thrown down subway stairs. Give us your opinion. And in good areas. Well, I think that the distinction is, in fact, that we used to hear about crime being in areas that perhaps did not touch us. And what we forget is that there are five boroughs in the city of New York and that each one of them is a part of New York City. So you can't simply hear about statistics in the Bronx and live in Manhattan and say, oh, well, that's the Bronx. It's not going to happen here. What's happened, as we know, in Manhattan 
is that although the crime is sporadic, it is the type of crime that makes people very fearful. And when you have the perception of fear, you have the reality of fear. They become equal. So when you hear about uh, gunshots or a gun battle being waged on Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock near St. Patrick's Cathedral, or you hear about an assault, whether it be by a knife or a gun in Times Square, or you hear about a woman at about 11 o'clock in the morning walking on Madison Avenue and 52nd Street, which, uh, as many of us on this call and many of your listeners know, is uh, very close to uh, a fabulous restaurant called Fresco's, where you would walk there and not have a second thought in the world, and then you hear about someone being assaulted. Those are the kinds of things that make us fearful. Uh, John, I've shared with you and uh, with other people that uh, a couple of months back, I was walking um, pretty nondescript. I was in my jogging clothes with a, a jacket, a hat, uh, sneakers, uh, no jewelry, and I was doing a power walk on 3rd Avenue at 56th Street wow. uh, when I was accosted. Um, I guess the word would be assaulted, but I'm going to call it accosted because I was lucky enough that I didn't get uh, hurt, where uh, a young man uh, walking the opposite direction, there were plenty of traffic, pedestrians, plenty of traffic on 3rd Avenue, very busy time of the morning, 11 a.m., and I got thrown again against a scaffold, spun around, and he spit all over my face. And it must have taken a nanosecond. And the only reaction I had in my head was, thank goodness he didn't have a box cutter. Thank goodness he didn't have a knife. And I had a lovely good Samaritan who uh, walked with me for about a block, gave me a handkerchief uh, to wipe off the spit and said the right thing. He said, you know, you really need to get a COVID test. And then, of course, you get the shock of what just happened to you. Well, it's 11 a.m. And as I say, I was one of the lucky ones. Um, The idea that People like me who have lived in cities all their lives. I lived in Chicago. I grew up there. I was taking the subway uh, at the age of 12 to go downtown for voice lessons and dancing lessons and acting lessons. And uh, you could do that in my era. A parent was able to allow a 12-year-old child uh, to go on the subway. I mean, as an older woman now, um, I mean, I'm afraid. And I think that there are plenty of people who are now afraid. Afraid. And that fear becomes the reality of fear. What do you think, uh, Ricky Kleeman, the, uh, the mayor and uh, Governor uh, Hochul, they put out a notice about safe zones in Times Square and other areas, you know, no guns. That's what they put up like signs. But there's a lot of criticism saying that's simply not enough, that criminals aren't going to see these signs and say, oh, I guess I shouldn't have my gun here, that we really need to get to the crux of the problem and keep the criminals behind bars where they belong. Well, certainly you cannot enforce a gun-free zone um, in a place like Times Square unless you're going to have magnetometers at any possible entrance to Times Square. I mean, it's impossible to enforce a gun-free zone in an open area like Times Square. How, How are you going to stop someone who is carrying a gun five blocks from Times Square Uh, And carrying it legally. 
How are you going to say, well, they can't carry it if they go into Times Square, let alone someone who is carrying illegally? One of the things we do know is that most of the crimes concerning gun violence in uh, the city of New York are not committed by people who legally own a firearm. They're committed by people who are bringing uh, or receiving uh, illegal guns uh, in the city of New York. Uh, And we have to have an ability to take people who repeatedly, one time after another time after another time, commit crimes that are considered crimes of violence. And I consider any kind of an assault a crime of violence. Mm -hmm. Those people have got to be put behind bars. You know, there is a point where we say there are people who are just bad people and that there are some people who really should not be in society. And when you have lawlessness, even at the smallest level, the ones we say, well, it's not hurting a person. So you have someone who is going into a Dwayne Reed or a CVS, a Walgreens, who is uh, doing shoplifting time after time. And do we have to open up the papers every day and see someone's been arrested 26 times, 42 times, over 100 times, and they go through the revolving door? And, and Ricky, what, I, what, what we talked about, eight and a half million New Yorkers deserve, mm-hmm. deserve to be safe. We don't mind paying the taxes, but we deserve to be safe. And- well, we deserve to be safe, John, and as my husband is uh, want to say, <clears throat> the first obligation of government has to do with ensuring public safety. And it's the old story. You know, they used to say, if you build it, they will come. Well, the truth is, if you make it safe, they will come. Uh, you, If you have a safe city like we achieved uh, through the work of the police department, uh, but when my husband was police commissioner back in 94 to 96, under the imprimatur of Rudy Giuliani at his best time uh, as the mayor of New York back in the day, that what, when you achieve that level of safety, tourism blossomed. And people love to be able to be in New York City because they're I agree. Safe. And in what the, the current police commissioner has said to us is 3,000 violent criminals. At least those people should be put away. Because if well, we got rid of the 3,000 violent criminals, the city, me and you can walk around the city we, again. We can't continue to be the only state in the country that doesn't allow judges to use their discretion, their common sense to keep violent criminals behind bars. But thank you so much, Ricky Kleeman. We have to go to we a hard to break. We have to take a hard break. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. And we'll, and we'll be talking to you again real soon. Okay, great. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, Lou Dobbs, I understand, is coming on. Let's put Lou Dobbs on. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now we have on the line for us Mayor Francis Xavier Suarez. He is the mayor of New York City 2.0, a.k.a. Miami, Florida. Welcome to Cats at Night. How how's it feel with all those New Yorkers living down there now, even more so than ever? I thought you really thought I was the mayor of New York when you started that. So I, kinda, <laughs> I, heard, you were hanging, I heard you were hanging around you know, with, uh, uh, with Mayor Adams. So, you know, they used to say that Miami was the sixth borough of New York, and now I say that New York is the sixth district of Miami. <laughs> if you keep stealing more businesses from us here uh, down to Miami, uh, including financial businesses, it may end up that way. 
And Mayor Suarez, I understand well, you guys are able to keep crime under control. Yeah. So, you know, what, I, what I've said is, and I'm not president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, so I'm president of all the mayors in the United States. And our formula for success in Miami is simple. We keep taxes low, we keep people safe, and we lean into innovation. It's that simple. So we've kept taxes low. We, we reduced taxes while everybody else has raised them to the lowest level in history under my administration. And you know what's happened to our budget? It's doubled in size, right, because we had 12% growth, uh, so, uh, which is the second most growth in recorded history. Then we, with those resources that we've gotten, uh, we've kept people safe. We've increased funding for police, uh, which other cities, for some unknown reason, this has become political, uh, decreased funding for police. So we, we have the most police officers we've ever had in our history. Uh, and then we, we've focused on quality of life issues, which is why Miami's ranked the happiest city in America and the healthiest city in America. And we have a 1.4% unemployment. We've focused on creating high paying jobs. We're number one in the nation in tech job growth, number one in the nation in wage growth. So it turns out if people are working, they're not paying a lot of taxes. There's a lot of police officers. They're happy and they're healthy. Guess what they're not doing? They're not hurting people. And so it's a very easy recipe for success, but it does require a lot of political courage and a lot of people to make uh, common sense decisions. Well, you're a common sense guy. And uh, uh, how is Florida overall uh, uh, going? I mean, now you have uh, uh, Governor DeSantis going to be running against uh, Charlie Crist. Uh, what, what, how close is that race? Well, it's it's hard to say because Florida is a little funky. We have a third of our electorate is uh, independents. Uh, our governor was elected in uh, 2018 by only 34,000 votes. Uh, I think what's different now is, A, he got a lot of credit for keeping Florida open uh, while others, uh, you know, closed during uh, COVID. Uh, and I think he got a lot of, uh, of credit for that. And I think the second part is he has a massive war chest. I mean, he's raised over $150 million. Uh, and, and the former governor uh, is not going to be able to compete with that. You know, there's basically 60 days left until the election, uh, you know, October and, and September. And, you know, he's going to dominate the airwaves over the next 60 days and get his message out there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, former Governor Chris is going to struggle uh, to compete and get his message out there. So I, did, I just think at this point, you know, the governor has to focus on, on, on positive things and creating a message that's going to resonate. People always love to know why tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday. Uh, speaking, that's, that's what people love. Uh, Mr. Mayor Ed Cox here. Speaking of airwaves, you've got a big fight over some radio stations in Miami, don't you? Who was going to own them this, and uh, what's going to happen is, to them? Is this, is, this, is this the former mayor that I'm talking to? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, he's, he's beyond. Ed Cox is the son-in-law of President Nixon uh, and married ah, to Trisha so, Cox, and, and he was the so, New York State oh. GOP chairman for 10 years. Yeah, so, when I was the chairman I here, I, I'd get a call. I with, yeah, I would get a call from Governor. I think governors. I was with his brother. Oh, you, yeah. I, I was with his brother a couple of days ago in, in New York, actually, in the Hamptons. Yeah, uh, Howard Cox. So, right, right. <laughs> yes, I was with Howard. I was with Howard. So I, you said Cox, and I, I for some reason I heard Cox. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I said, well, that's that's a little strange. I know that uh, you know Fiorello Laguardia is not around anymore either, right? So, <laughs> nope, nope, uh, he, uh, 
We miss him. So, Mayor Suarez, what's the deal with these uh, radio stations? I mean, most uh, a lot of Latino people they listen to the radio, and the fact that George Soros has you know bought up yeah. eighteen radio stations. It, this is kind of scary stuff here, and he paid well over the the asking price. So, you know, there's some kind of political ideology behind this purchase. Listen, it's it's very disturbing, right? The 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 sale price makes no sense vis a vis. Um, the value, right? There's a huge delta between what they're worth and what he paid. That's number one, um, which, which, which makes, I think, his intent very clear, right? The, the Cuban community and the Hispanic community, the Venezuelan community, um, you know, which overwhelm, overwhelmingly has voted Republican, um, you know, they're influenced in part by uh, talk radio, just like the one we're on right now. And, you know, I think that uh, George Soros and whoever – you know, or his minions have decided that the best way for them to try to penetrate and re, um, you know, sort of re-brainwash people in this community is to try to take over the airwaves. The good news is that a lot of talent that was in these radio stations has already moved to a new conservative radio station. And, you know, I think the listeners will move accordingly. So what he's going to happen is he's going to end up buying an asset that's worthless because no one's going to listen to it. Mayor Suarez, there is just one last question. There is a little scuttle, some buzz that you could be president maybe someday. How how strong are those aspirations? Well, look, it's it's an honor to be in that conversation. My parents came to this country. They were kicked out of communist Cuba. And we're very much shaped by that experience. We know that the American dream uh, is something that everybody should taste, that she shouldn't feel guilty about. And, you know, look, I think it depends on, on the mood of the country, right? Uh, Every presidential election is a referendum on where the country is. And I think at some point the country will uh, move from the boomer generation to the next generation. I think the country is going to want someone who's inspirational and aspirational. I think in leaders, we always want that quality. Uh, I think at some point the country is going to want someone that can broaden the Republican Party and speak to some of the largest minority demographics that are trending Republican like Hispanics. And I also think uh, in a hyper competitive world, We've seen this in Miami. Uh, you have to be on the forefront of disruption to create high-paying jobs. And there's no that that may be you know Miami versus some of the, the cities in, in the United States, but that also applies to the United States and their competition with China, their competition with the Middle East, uh, you know, which is a generational competition. So that day will come, and when it comes, uh, you know, if 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 uh, my family and I decide that that's something worth pursuing, which obviously would be the most uh, you know phenomenal opportunity uh, to make a difference, then, then, then you know, then we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. That was hey, two minutes Suarez. and five seconds, Mayor. I'll take that as a yes. Yes. That was That's a Governor, campaign uh, ad right Governor there. Patterson. Uh, and he's uh, alive and doing thanks, well. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good. Mayor Suarez, thank you, and we're going to be talking to you again real soon. Keep doing a great job. Hey, how do your brother Howard for I will hey, certainly will, Mayor. And now we have on the line for us Leora Levy. She is uh, proud to serve as a Republican National Committee woman for the state of Connecticut. And she's also, she was also, she was born in Havana, Cuba, and she her family escaped Castro's communist uh, revolution. Are we having all Cubans on the, on the show now? And she is up for, <laughs> in Connecticut, she is up for... Where's the Senator. 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 And so, yes. God willing, she's going to win. And we know that she likes to tell the truth and tell it like it is. What's on your mind, Leora Levy? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, we we have made big news here in Connecticut. It is 
it is not a good thing. It is the fact that it has been discovered that there is an assistant principal in one of our fine elementary schools here in Greenwich who has been hiring people according to their political views, not hiring people if they are conservatives, not hiring people if they are of the Catholic faith, because he only wants young progressives who will mold children to their way of thinking. This is unconscionable, it is un-American, and it is illegal. I so saw that I'm video. Now, now Lior, I have a big question for you. Has Senator Blumenthal yes. now come back from his duty in Vietnam or not? <laughs> well, I did bump into him last weekend up in Brooklyn, Connecticut at the fair. He did fly. He told me he did not get stuck in the three-hour traffic jam I was in because he flew in, so he could have flown in from Vietnam. Who knows? <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think anybody knows no, about the, the, the joke you're telling. No, but, way uh, back, no way back when. Everybody uh, knows that he 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 has lied for he lied for years saying that he fought in Vietnam. He was in in the Marines as a reservist, but he never was went to Vietnam, and he 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 stole the valor of our our brave veterans who did. Understood. Governor Patterson, any questions? Uh, no. Maybe he thought he was in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one question. What's the future? Jane Nelson Re- Happy. What's the future of the Republican Party in Connecticut? It used to be a strong Republican state, but what's the outlook going forward? The outlook is great here in Connecticut because the issues that are driving the election nationally are driving it here. Everybody goes to the gas station. Everybody goes to the grocery store and has to make tough choices because inflation and high gas prices are affecting all of us. Parents are having a hard time figuring out how they're going to afford the school supplies and how they're going to uh, heat their homes this winter. Winter is coming, and there's a shortage of, of home heating oil and natural gas. The prices are very, very high. And it's going to be a long, cold winter for many of us here in Connecticut. So these are the issues that are affecting this election. And these, this is the reason that voters are flocking to the Republican Party away from those Democrat parties and their extreme policies. Well, Leora Levy, thank you. Work hard. And the election is how many days? Or maybe uh, less than 60 days away? 69, 68, 69 days away. But who's well, counting? And we'll talk to you again real soon, and uh, good luck in Connecticut, and and make that state proud of you. I I sure will. And And my website is leora4ct.com. Thank you so much for having me, John. God bless. And we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Ryan Payne to find out what the heck is going on with the markets and interest rates. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Bruno, he's your numero uno. Cats at night 
on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We are back, and uh, with us uh, right now is Ryan Payne of Payne Management and uh, Investments. Um, to tell us, Ryan, what the heck is going on in the markets? Uh, uh, it went down a thousand points on Friday. We thought the world was coming to an end, and all of a sudden, well, it got boring again. Tell us. It's boring, but definitely boring on the downside, which is, in my mind, less boring, John, and less thrilling than the upside. Um, bull markets are more fun than bear markets. But I think right now with the market I'm not going to say it's a lot of bull. <laughs> Actually, what happened was the chairman of the Fed talked about pain. <laughs> I mean, P-A-I-N as opposed to P-A-Y-N in that, in that case. But yeah, I think Jay Powell is, is ruined the party, guys. He's ruined the bull party that we were enjoying. I mean, he, he was he was uh, middle of the road for a long time, and all of a sudden he jumped off the uh, the edge of the cliff. Uh, what do you think? Why? Well, I think you remember with the Fed, don't trust the Fed, number one, right? It's like back in the 70s or the 60s, he said, don't trust the man. Don't trust the Fed. They can change their opinion really quickly. And, and Jay Powell, I mean, really, how many times has he pivoted so far, right? He said, you know, inflation was transitory. They were very dovish. Now they're very hawkish. So, John, I still think the Fed can change their opinion very quickly. And I think, you know, one of the points you've made over and over again is just look at oil prices, right? They're down 8% for the month. They're down $88 a barrel today. Um, well, it's down and- to $88. Don't forget, I predicted 75 maybe uh, uh, before the end of the year. Hey, John, I'm still waiting for it. But, yes, you're at the end of the year to get that, that target. Um, and I think even another good point, too, is, you know, if we get really producing at the level we can produce here in the U.S. from 16 million barrels a day up to like 20 million barrels a day, um, you probably will see that $75 oil. And as we know, oil is an input in everything. So I think the reality of it is the market's telling you inflation is coming down. You look at the 10-year Treasury, it's only at 3.1%. So you got to wonder here, you know, how much heavy lifting does the Fed have to do if the market's already doing it for the Fed. And you, you said this before, too, John, like it's very problematic if they keep raising rates, if inflation's coming down, and that can really start to slow growth in the real estate market, which is already starting to slow down. And we could unnecessarily go into sort of a recession uh, that could probably be avoided, given the fact that inflation's already... They're, really forcing it. The They're trying to force it into a recession. Uh, like I said on Fox this morning, I said uh, there used to be expression... Uh, something's rotten in Denmark. Now the new expression is something is rotten in Washington. Oh. <laughs> how do you, uh, Ryan, how do you have a full employment with lots of jobs, a lot more than people who are available for those jobs? How do you have a recession? I don't think you can. And I think that's the one narrative that's been incorrect. And we talk about these Wall Street strategists, John Collins and Wall Street historians. Um, and they're all calling for employment to cool off. It's not going to cool off. We have 11.3 million job openings. That was the Jolts report this week. Um, you know, that's that's the most jobs available ever. So, I, you know, I think I'm very hard pressed to think that we're going to go into recession because inflation is coming down. The only variable here is the Fed. And if the Fed gets too aggressive, um, that could put us into an unnecessary uh, you know, recession that, you know, reality is we're probably not going to go into otherwise. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Ryan Payne. And uh, tell us the name of the company again. Uh, Ryan Payne, Payne Capital Management, that's P-A-Y-N-E. Go to bbullish.com every Saturday with Steve Moore at 1 o'clock. Best hour of radio besides the shark. And I listen every Saturday at 1 o'clock right after Larry Kudlow. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks, John. Take care.
And now on the line for us, we have Dr. Mark Siegel, and he is one smart guy, and he's going to tell us what the and, heck... And we cut him off too fast yesterday. That's why you're back. Yes, and we one want... One smart cookie. One smart cookie. And by the way, that, that Ryan Payne, who's terrific, not no relation to Charles Payne, I want to say. Oh. No, a horse of a different color. Exactly. <laughs> Distant cousin. You, uh, you said that. You said that. All right. So I said Dr. I'm a Siegel, fan of Charlie. You, Charlie and he's, me a, he's a pretty good, smart good. guy, too. Now, both, now both. all of a sudden, they, they have a new booster shot that they say is going to be better than, uh, uh, than apple pie and uh, vanilla ice cream. You know what's interesting here that no one's talking about? The F- Before I get to this booster shot, do you know that the FDA withdrew their emergency use authorization on the old shot? And you know why that's an issue? Because places, states that have the old shot piled up and don't have any supply of the new shot yet, what are they going to do with that? They're going to throw it away. Yeah, here we go yeah, but, again. That's but, not good look, business. That ain't what kept Christides open all this amount of time or this radio station, for that matter. That kind of thinking, right? You're, you're right. And, and I don't want to talk about about all the heart problems people had when they got that booster shot. Well, that's that's true, and so that's why you called me on on this new booster. The new booster is really tailored for this subvariant, but no one's tested it for that, John. I mean, it's safe. I'm sure it's safe. Uh, at least as safe as the last shot, but we don't know how much oomph it's going to give us. We don't know how much it's actually going to give you an added immunity. I think immunity is the key, whether you get it from your monoclonal antibodies like some people or whether you get it from the vaccine or from having had COVID. I think it's good that this is around, but I don't know yet how much additional protection it's going to give you, and it's still scarce. Governor Patterson? So, Dr. Siegel, when I was in office in 2010, they, we had the H1N1 virus, they came up with a vaccine that they didn't test, and the legislature voted for the state workers that they didn't want to take the vaccine. They didn't have to, and I signed the bill, and I got just vilified by the healthcare community. But I think there is a point sometimes to just uh, not going through all of the procedures before you put a, uh, a highly uh, questionable vaccine out on the market. Well, that's what Paul Offit is saying down at Penn, by the way. And he says our committee, FDA advisory committee, didn't vote on this. My view is it's similar enough so that I'm okay that it approved approved it. But you're hinting at something else. No way this should be mandated anywhere. It should be available for a doctor like me to say, hey, you're in a high-risk group. You're, you know, you're very, you're elderly. You have a lot of medical problems. You're overweight. I want to give you this now. You didn't have a shot for six months or more. I want to give you this now. I should be able to decide. And as long as they leave it in the hands of a patient or a doctor to decide, I am not expecting, Governor, for there to be a big backlash of some unexpected side effects. It's not that different than the other vaccine. But John's going to tell you there are side effects with the other one. Fair enough. And Dr. Siegel, the national average life expectancy has gone down again two years in a row. It's now, what, 76? And we haven't seen a drop like this since the 40s. What the heck is going on? Sedentary lifestyle. It's blocking us down for years. People locked down and they drank and they didn't exercise. They didn't walk around. The only people looking robust now, Lydia, are the rats in the streets of New York looking very robust. He's right. He's right. And I... I, I Went to like recently an event and I saw some people that I hadn't seen in maybe two years and everybody had packed on those COVID pounds. You know, everyone assumes it's the virus, right? The virus, an additional death from death rate from the virus. But that's gone way down, especially in the Northeast where there's a lot of immunity. 
right now, but we're still seeing this death rate. And again, it's because of all the other things. It's suicide. It's drug abuse. It's it's heart attacks. It's cancer. Those we those forgotten killers that that are that are rearing up because of all the the shutdowns also kept people from getting the medical care they needed on time. But why would you include COVID deaths if you're looking at life expectancy going forward? If COVID's really getting to be behind us, wouldn't you just take that out uh, when you're talking about the statistics? Well, you you, you count yeah. everybody. No, died. no, that's a good point. When you project forward, you should definitely realize that we're way down in deaths to where, compared to where we were before. And we have been mm-hmm. for months with Omicron. It's less less deadly, especially, again, people that had prior infection or the vaccine. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to be the major cause going forward of this issue. I think we have a, a lifestyle issue, a crisis. We have all the bi- biotechnology in the world. You know, we're getting somewhere with treatments in almost every one of those diseases I mentioned. So we shouldn't be having this issue. Biggest killer is the obesity epidemic. We got a couple of new drugs coming out for obesity that insurance is not covering. And that's... uh, John, didn't you hear something disturbing that, like, some recruits can't do a push-up or something? Yeah, but that's... uh... That's the, that's what's going into our army right now. But we're going to discuss that more of that tomorrow. But yeah. Doc, Dr. Siegel, thank you for your input and thank you for calling in today. And God bless you. Great and, to be on uh, with you guys. Thank I'm you. Am I going to see Thanks, you Saturday John. morning for breakfast? You bet. Okay, Nelson Happy, thank you. Ed Cox, thank you. And uh, Governor Patterson, thank you for being on the show. And and Lydia. And what do we stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American way. God bless America. God bless the world because we need help. Thank you.